Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. This week, we get to know Fox News meteorologist Janice Dean. You likely know her from Fox and Friends. Well, today, we get to know her for so much more. That conversation is coming up. Hey, have you had a chance to try American Pride Roasters coffee yet? I hope you will. This month, we're in the middle of tax season. And the history-minded team at APR Coffee is focusing on the first Treasury Secretary, Alexander Hamilton, and his connection to the former Vice President, Aaron Burr, who, as you know, killed Hamilton in a famous duel. Well, the folks at APR Coffee named a blend especially for the pair. The Burr-Hamilton Breakfast Blend. It features Central and South American coffee beans with the special APR blend of blueberry and donut flavors. It's a terrific dessert coffee, but also a great companion to your favorite pastry breakfast. And right now, the generous folks at APRCoffee.com are giving you a free 8-ounce bag of their Reagan, a time-for-choosing blend, for you to sample when you purchase two pounds of any other APR blend. It's simple. Just head to APRCoffee.com, select at least two pounds of any APR coffee blend, use offer code ATM, it stands for at the mic, and they're going to send you that free bag of coffee. That's APRCoffee.com, offer code ATM at checkout. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Janice Dean from the Fox News Channel sat down with me this week. In addition to her role in bringing us the weather every morning, Janice also is a prolific author. She shares with us her struggles that she's faced in her life and how she remains mostly sunny in her outlook. One of the things we discussed was her public battle with New York's governor and if that's an office she might like to hold someday. It's a pleasure getting to know Janice Dean in this week's edition of At The Mic. I am so thrilled to have you join me today for this conversation. Thanks so much, Janice. Keith, I am honored to be on your program. Thank you very much. Now, you were actually, you're born in Toronto. So mm-hmm. I, that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of cool in of itself. I mean, if you ask me, are you a Maple Leafs fan then? Does that, does that <laughs> automatically qualify you? Is that a prerequisite? Yes, but I was I was raised in Ottawa. So I was born in Toronto. I didn't live there for very long. And then I spent most of my growing up years in Ottawa, the nation's capital. So I I am a senator's fan as well. Oh, wow. Okay. well, then. Okay. well, you got your bases covered. I'm an Oilers fan. Don't ask me how that happened. I let my 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 son pick a team for us because I'm from Atlanta and uh, two professional hockey teams have left town that's got to be a trivia question by the way um which uh, american city has lost two professional franchises to canada it's got to be atlanta with the flames going to calgary and the jets now uh, they used to be the thrashers but uh so he just picked a team for us he picked the oilers and we lucked out with Connor mcdavid i'll say that i like it i like the fact that you're a hockey fan yeah yeah i don't get to watch it as much see they play late and i have to get it you know this better than me i hear you we both get up at I get up at 3 a.m. I don't know what time you get up. Um, Same. Okay. And so it's tough staying up for those games. I have to watch them the next day. And by then it's already ruined for me, you know? <laughs> I hear you. Anyway. These, the, these are the things, the pitfalls of having to wake up so early. Exactly. And when I tell people that I'm usually asleep before 8, 8.30, they look at me like, are, Lame. You, are you kidding me? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so anyhow, you grew up in Ottawa. You have a brother He's uh, Craig, correct? 
Correct. And he does live in Toronto. He lives in now. I'm so confused now, Janice. No. How close were y'all in age growing up? Three years. So I'm old. I'm the older sister. Uh huh. And did you take liberties being the older sister? Did did you boss him around or how was your child? Yeah, I was I was a terrible sister. <laughs> oh, I really? really was. Oh, no. Yeah. Wait, you're I, so I was. happy on TV and you're telling us. I'm going to be forthcoming and say that <laughs> I apologize every time I get the. I'm sorry, Craig. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Well, do you guys stay close today? Do you get up there much? Because I guess with COVID and everything, is it even able to travel back and forth? Nope. across? No. It's yeah. been really hard because my mom actually lives outside of Toronto. She lives in London, Ontario, and... We see her every Christmas since the kids were born. So mm-hmm. I have a, you know, I have a 12 year old and every Christmas we've seen my mom and this year we didn't because of COVID and they, they are in lockdown. So they've been in lockdown for quite some time. So that's been really difficult. And I haven't talked to my brother. He sent a video, uh, for my son's birthdays. He likes to send videos, uh, for them. So listen, it's been terrible for all families. You know, everybody's going through challenging times. That that does stink having your family on the uh, across the border there like that. Um, I know that you started to go to, to college up there, correct? But you ended up at Mississippi State. Tell, take us through your education there. Um, I'm, I'm trying to follow here, like the the Janice Dean collegiate path. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Um, I went to high school in Ottawa. And then I was accepted to the journalism program at Carleton University, which is in Ottawa. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but journalism seemed to be the focus that I, the path that I wanted to go down. I mean, I think even as a young kid, I knew I wanted to do something that was in media or reporting. Um, even when I was younger, I would interview the kids in the neighborhood, like, you know, what are you up to today? What's the weather like? <laughs> so, you know, my mom would, would joke around saying at a young age, I pretty, I knew where I was going, but so I was excited that I got into Carleton, but I didn't love it while I was there. Uh, I wanted to be on, you know, be on the camera or do radio stuff. And you didn't get to do that until fifth year. And Ooh. I'm like that, I, I want it now. Wait you a know? minute. Wait a minute. Do you make you go to college for five years in Canada as opposed to the four here in America? Yeah. Back then, I believe it was five years. Oh. I, I'm not. Yeah, it's it's five years you, in university to get your uh, wow. degree. Wow. Um, and so because I also had a boyfriend that was living in California. I know it's hard to follow here, but <laughs> I. Uh, well, how did you meet him? I, I, so in Ottawa, he was actually okay. an engineer. He was a little, he was a little bit older than I was. Gotcha. And we started dating while he was still in Ottawa. And he got a, an awesome job in California and always wanted to live in the U.S. And so he moved to California. I was having a terrible time at Carleton in journalism, not doing what I love to do. So I decided to quit. Hmm. Uh, and I, I was only there for a few months and I decided to take some time off and I told my boyfriend that I was going to come visit him in California. I did, you know, it's so funny. And we were so close, uh, and we still are, but, um, he said, okay, come down for a little bit just to figure out what you're going to do. And, you know, I was hanging around him for a while until he finally sat me down and said, listen, you're a smart girl. And I think you really need to figure out what you want to do. And the best way to do that is go back home and, you know, you're welcome to live the, you know, you're welcome to come out to California, uh, you know, once you figure things out, but you can't just sort of like hang out with me. Oh my! So that was, you know, that was devastating, obviously. 
Um, but he, you know, set me down the trajectory uh, where I am today because I went back home. I realized that I loved radio. Um, and while I was in California, I was listening to a lot of radio with Tom because he he loved the morning show in in California. We used to listen in the morning. And I was like, that's really cool. I'd love to be like a radio announcer or a DJ or something like that. So I went, I did. I took his advice, even though I was heartbroken because we did break up. Oh, no. So was um, he trying to get rid of you or was he actually being nice? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think it was both. Okay. I think it was both. <laughs> you know, he realized, he realized, I, you know, I had talent and I was a smart girl. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hanging out with him in California while he's trying to, you know, get his career on track was not the wisest of decisions. And, you know, he wasn't ready to pop a ring. Mm -hmm. So I did go back. I did take his advice. And I realized there was a, a radio television broadcasting program at Algonquin, which is a, which is a college there. And it was a two year program. Um, and well, that's better than five. You got to pick exactly. <laughs> and it was very hands-on. Cool. It was very hands-on. And we were, our professors were people in the industry. So if you were good and they saw that in you, right? they would, you know, recommend you for whatever job openings there were. And that's exactly what happened to me. I, you know, I, I did very well in the program, both in the radio and the television side of it. And one of my teachers was the music director for a classic rock station in Ottawa. And he said, uh, I think you're really talented and there's a job opening in the summertime. It was called the Sun Scoop. That's a little bit of uh, foreshadowing, foreshadowing into yes. my career. Uh -huh. It was a community events reporter. So I would go around in the little Shea 106 van and, and interview people at their community events. So that's how it all kind of started. I did radio for most of my career. I always did the television part on the side. So while I was doing the, the being at the classic rock station, I was also doing... Um, weather part-time back then you didn't need the education you were a weather presenter back home in canada so uh -huh. i was actually doing weather on the side so that's how that sort of began okay so i know that you have held other jobs along the way when you got into radio was there this break where you held these other jobs or because uh, I'm, I'm looking here I, I can't wait to hear how you were in law enforcement for two weeks um, you know, City Hall, you sold menswear. Like, where did these jobs fall into the, the, the spectrum of your life? The trajectory? Right. Right. I've always been somebody who's wanted to work. I mean, as for as as young, I remember being, you know, like eight, nine years old and saying to my dad, when can I work? When can I make money? When can I get out there? <laughs> it's something that I've always been interested in doing is holding a job. Like mm -hmm. even when I, you know, before, before I was at the age to be able to do that. Right. Um, and so the, the city hall job was actually something I applied for when I think I was in ninth or 10th grade for the summers. <laughs> oh, there wow. was an article in the newspaper, the local newspaper saying that they had an opening for, you know, a, a student, uh, to work at City Hall in the bylaw department. And back home in Canada, bylaw is basically, basically uh, the 
the, you know, the place where the cops don't want to do those types of jobs. For example, the barking dog jobs, the parking ticket jobs, the, um, complaints about long grass in the neighbor, in the neighbor's, uh, backyard. So those types of jobs that the police officers did not want to do went to the bylaw enforcement officers. Mm-hmm. So I, I got the job and I was actually uh, helping in the, in the department of, um, you know, logging calls, taking phone calls. So I would, you know, pick up the phone. I'd say, you know, you've got the bylaw office and they would say, Oh, well, my neighbor's dog is barking and I need somebody to go out and ticket them. Uh So I was taking these calls and and I was dispatching them. Uh Yeah. I was in high school. I was doing it. I did it every summer for several years. And actually, they'll tell you that my my career in radio started with my dispatching, like uh, bylaw base to car sixteen. Uh, I have a ten sixty nine on the loose. You know, that was that was what I was doing, awesome. which was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and then when when I quit university before I went to visit the boyfriend, I realized that I needed a full-time job. So I went to my pals in the bylaw enforcement department and I said, you know, I quit school. Do you have a full-time job for me? And they were the ones that said, do you want to try to be a bylaw enforcement officer? So Uh. I did that for two weeks. I did it for two weeks and I was not going out on the dog calls and I was trying to avoid giving out parking tickets. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I suited up and I wore the, you know, I wore the outfit for a, about two weeks and then I, and then I quit. I can understand. The, I, um, I, I'm sorry. I just can't see Janice Dean <laughs> writing me a ticket, you know, cause, cause you're so, you know, we watch you on TV and you're always smiling and, and you know, the book mostly <sighs> sunny, you know, and, and I can't, I can't see that job being a good fit. I for hated you. it. It I was bet. awful. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but the men's clothing, that was another job that I did, um, while I was in school, the store was called Harry Rosen. It was a pretty upscale men's clothing. They sold suits and ties and, um, in other words, a place uh, you'll never see me is, is kind of what you're (laughs) describing, (laughs) but go ahead. (laughs) Well, that all depends. I, Uh you know, I wonder if Harry Rosen is still up and running. I, I think they are, but I did that again for um, several years at, while I was in school, and and that was fun too. I listen. I'm going to be honest and say there was part of me that was thinking, oh, if I work in the men's clothing store, then maybe I can, you know, find find a nice husband someday. So there was, you know, there was a bit <laughs> of ulterior motive there. You had a plan. Uh-huh. And, and by the way, uh, there is a Harry Rosen at the uh, Rideau Center in Ottawa. Does that ring a bell? Rideau Center. Rideau yes, Center. Okay. yes, yes, uh, you, yes. Yes, I, 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 I didn't work at the Rideau Center. I worked at the Bayshore uh, Mall, which was uh, closer to where I lived. Okay. So that's funny. That's a blast from the past. Did you did you just research I just, that? I just we Googled just uh, Harry Rosen, Ottawa, and that's what came up there. <laughs> and I always love, and this is what I love, is uh, how Center is uh, up there spelled... Uh, uh, C-E-N-T-R-E instead of E-R. That'll always oh, yes. get a chuckle yes. out of the uh, Canadian way and of doing it. And color. Things. There's a color. lot of words. With There's the a U's. lot of words yeah. out there uh-huh. that are spelled differently. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> very good. So you eventually end up at Mississippi State University. How did that work out? I'm, I'm sorry that I've just, uh, I've, I've got to say, no, I'm, that's I'm, okay. I'm ignorant on how that works on someone from a foreign country uh, attempting to go to school here. So... My father uh, was American, and um, when I turned 18, 
I was able to apply for dual citizenship because my dad um, lived more most of his years in the U.S. Um, he served in the Air Force and he went to high school. He lived in New Jersey for a period of time. He lived in outside of uh, Chicago for a period of time. He met my mom, moved to Canada, and I believe he gave up his U.S. citizenship um, to marry my mom and live in Canada. But when the U.S. free trade agreement happened during the Clinton years. Okay, is this NAFTA, Maro- huh? Yep. Oh, wow. Uh, my, my mom saw an article in the Globe and Mail that said, if you had your U.S. citizenship and you gave it up uh, to live in Canada, you could reapply again and get it back. And in huh. doing so, he was able to get back his U.S. citizenship and he was able to uh, apply for my dual citizenship. So when I was uh, when I got out of high school, I became a dual citizen. So I always had that wonderful opportunity that if I wanted to move to the States, I would be able to do so. And um, I did. That's I lived cool. in Houston for a few years I moved back home to Canada for about a year after Houston, and then I moved to New York. But to get to your question of Mississippi State, when I came to Fox, I was hired as their daytime weather person. And um, when I realized that that was going to be my career, that that was going to be my main job at Fox, I went back to school. And a lot of the TV meteorologists that you see on television uh, went to Mississippi State. It was it was an online learning Oh, wow. um, a distant learning program. Yep. But it, uh, it was several years and there, you know, there was, uh, thermodynamics and all sorts of, uh, very, very difficult math questions that I had to do to become a broadcast meteorologist. So that's, I did that. And, you know, when I talked to people getting out of college or, 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 you know, trying to figure out what they're going to do as a career, I always tell them, you know, never say never. And it's never too late to, to go back to school. I mean, I went back to school in my mid to late thirties, um, you know, to, to get the courses that were required to be a broadcast meteorologist. Um, so that's, that's how we got there. So I majored in journalism, broadcast communications and, uh, university of Nebraska, and you have to pick some minors to, to go along with it. And I promise you, I was I was within an inch of signing up to be a meteorologist, a uh, meteorology ma- minor. And, That's awesome. Well, yeah, I, mean, I just I'm a weather geek. I love that stuff. And you just, however, um, here I am now, what, 25 years removed from that decision to not be a, a, a meteorology minor. And 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 I finally feel good about that because you just mentioned that there was difficult math and I could barely handle the rudimentary <laughs> math that was uh, and, and and you laugh. But if you, if you know anything about me and, and the audience at the blaze, when, when they see me trying to figure out math on the fly during Pat's show that comes on before Glenn, um, it, I, I literally I just and so you just made me realize no regrets. Think of the math that would have been involved. It was pretty intense, huh? Very intense. There was some very intense math. I mean, you, (laughs) I tell people that, you know, when I talk about freezing rain and, um, you know, sleet and that kind of thing, there are equations that you have to, to do to get that, you know, uh, 
how, uh, oh, you know, wow. water goes into a solid and, you know, something like, um, wind chill, that's, that's a whole mathematical equation that you have to learn, yeah. uh, to do now, nowadays, if you had put, if you put that kind of equation in front of me to do, I, I don't think I could do it, uh-huh. but at the time, yeah, you certainly had to, to know some fancy math. Yeah. You just keep a handy chart that somebody blazed that trail for you long ago. <laughs> just keep that nearby. But I never thought about that with freezing rain. I thought that was just kind of a, well, the, the, the layer of cool air isn't thick enough, and so we're going to call it freezing rain. You're telling me there's math involved with that calculation, huh? Absolutely. Everything is math when it comes to meteorology. Oh, man, then I made the right move staying out of those classes. (laughs) Okay, cool. So you got to Fox. Um, How did you, I mean, I, I don't assume that someone just rolls up into Manhattan and says, I want to be a meteorologist here. What was your path in the business that eventually led you to Fox News? I was in Ottawa for about a year, and I was working in in radio, so news radio. I was actually anchoring the news back back home, and a coworker of mine printed out a job description and put it on my desk and said, "You'd be really good for this job." Hmm. And it was um, it was in one of the trade papers or the trade industry papers uh, for the job with Don Imus in New York with WFAN. And it was also simulcast on MSNBC. And he needed a entertainment reporter. That's that's the that's the kind uh, version <laughs> of the job that I <laughs> that I auditioned for. Uh-huh. Um, he called it the scum report. Uh-huh. But I but I was also that job was also in charge of writing the news for his um, his news person, Charles McCourt. Uh-huh. And so my coworker was like, you'd be really good for this job. And I looked at him. I'm like, why would you think I would be good for this job? He says, well, you've got every, you mean, you've done radio, you've done television, you know, you're good on television. Um, you've done news and you've done entertainment and why not? And you're a dual citizenship and it's New York city. And mm-hmm. I, I laughed and I said, okay, you know, what have I got to lose? So I sent a, a resume and a tape and never in a million years thinking that I would get a call back. And I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I drove myself to New York City uh, for an audition. And um, I, I did that audition. They liked me. They had me back for another audition and I got the job. And I think the first or second week that I was there, I realized it was the worst job of my life. So I, you know, started to ask around. And at the time, not only was I working for IMUS, but because I was getting so little in pay, I was also doing part-time television over at the local CBS channel, WCBS, in New York on the weekends. So I was working seven days a week, and one of the makeup artists there took me aside and said, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, I don't know. I hate the job that I'm doing right now. And I don't know why I'm in New York. And she said, I work over at Fox. Uh, Do you want me to bring your tape over one day? And I thought, I got nothing to lose. This lady is really nice. I I have no idea where she's going to bring my tape, but what the heck? And it just so happened that she did bring my tape and resume over to Fox and she put it into somebody's hands that knew Mr. Ailes, Mr. Roger Ailes, put it on his desk. And I got a call that week. That's awesome. It almost was as simple as just rolling into Manhattan and saying, I want a job. (laughs) That's really cool. Well, you know, that it was, it was, let's see, 17 years ago. So I went for a couple of interviews and Mr. Ailes liked, uh, you know, he had heard me on Imus and knew who Imus was, obviously, and didn't know where to put me because he didn't think I was an anchor or a hard news person. 
And one day he just thought, have you ever done the weather before? And I, and I said to him, you know, back home when I first started out in broadcasting, I was, I was doing part-time weather. And he said, okay, I think you'd be a great daytime weather person. Let's sign you up. How cool is that? So when you go on to do the weather in the mornings, considering that you have a news background, uh, do you ever think, man, I really want to jump in here and talk about this serious issue? Or do you look at it as like, man, the world's so crazy. I'm so glad I'm just in there for the weather hit. You know, that's an interesting question, because uh, had you asked me that a year ago, right. I would have told you uh I love doing the weather. I love that I'm not a political person. I've always said the red and blue and on the map that I see are areas of high pressure and low pressure. Um, and no one knows who I voted for. And, you know, when I was hired at Fox, no one asked me who I wanted the president to be. So um, I've always enjoyed that. Now, you know, within the last 10 months, that's changed because of, uh, you know, my uh, what I've gone through with my family. And I've I've been obviously a little bit more outspoken um, against our current governor. Right. So, um, yeah, that's two parts. And the first part is definitely if you had asked me a year ago, I would have been, I love doing the weather. But uh -huh. now that here we are, it's I find myself in sometimes of a position of um, of, of talking New York state politics. Right. Right. And, and for those that, that may not be aware, there were some policies in place uh, enacted by Governor Cuomo that ended up um, effectively, literally, costing the lives of your in-laws. Is that accurate? Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes. That's. I mean, the, the short answer is yes, I believe his policy had something to do with the thousands of seniors that died in New York State, uh, including at least, I think, my father-in-law. Um, both my mother-in-law and my father-in-law were in elder care facilities, separate elder care facilities. The plan was before the pandemic happened that we found a place for both of them in an assisted living residence that was close to us. Um, his parents were not doing well health wise. We spent many years trying to figure out what to do. And then we found a nice place that was close to us that both of them could could live in and we could visit them. But his dad w had dementia and he had a lot of, uh, you know, s pretty serious health issues. So he had to be in rehab for a little bit before we could get him into better health to join his wife at the assisted living residence. And before we could do that, COVID happened and we were in lockdown. We weren't able to see them. We were we weren't getting, you know, as many updates as we had hoped, about, especially about his father. And literally at the end of March, we got a phone call saying his dad wasn't feeling well. And three hours later, we get a phone call saying he was dead. Oh. And, um, you know, it, it 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 is. It's so surreal even thinking about it a year later. Uh and uh, we didn't die of COVID until we saw the death certificate. And then his wife, um, his wife, my husband's mom, died uh, two weeks later. Uh, she got COVID in her assisted living residence, and then she was transported to the hospital, and she died in the hospital. Mm. So, uh, you know, I've been very vocal because this governor has not been very forthcoming with why he had a mandate an order to put COVID patients into nursing homes for 46 days. And we don't have the total number of seniors that died because he refuses to give that information. So I find myself in a position that the reason I'm outspoken is because many don't have voices. And if I don't speak up, then who's going to? 
And and luckily, you know, I, I've been very grateful for my friends at Fox because, you know, they realize that I'm doing this on behalf of my family, not because I'm a political person. I'm right. not. I actually really don't like the position that I've been put in. But if I don't say something, then who's going to and who's going to hold this governor accountable? Um, so I feel hopefully we'll get those answers. Um, I, I hope that people start to realize that I, I really don't think this governor cares about New Yorkers. I think he cares about himself and that's about it. I'm so sorry for your family's loss. And um, I just can't imagine how your husband is probably still feeling. Just uh, know that, that you guys are thought about and prayed for. I just cannot imagine being in that position. And you're absolutely right. You're, you're just compelled to speak out. You have this platform. People know who you are. And in fact, a lot of people, I guess, are beginning to call for you to run against Andrew Cuomo in the 2022 governor's race in New York. And so I was going to at least offer you the opportunity um, here on this podcast to, to, to make an announcement if you want to. I mean, no pressure. I mean, you know, if you... If you feel compelled to, to go ahead and say that, feel free. That is very kind. And if I had any, any information, you would be one of the top people <laughs> oh, that course, I tell. Of course, right? Yeah, that, that Keith guy that I'm, that I'm recording. Was it? I'm doing a podcast later today? Yeah, that's where I'm going to make this announcement. Yep, absolutely, y'all. Okay, just wanted to at least give the opportunity because the rumors are out there. There was a New York Post article just two days ago. So anyhow, if you do decide to run... All the best. I, I I wish you nothing but success if that does happen. All right. Well, I appreciate that, and you know it's very flattering, and I, I still am sort of dumbfounded by the outpouring of support for something like that. And I will say this: that somebody who runs for office or somewhere where there's leadership involved. I do hope that it's someone who wants to make a change and that it's not someone like Mr. Cuomo, who I believe is a career politician who, for whatever reason, he got into it. I mean, he's always had the name. His father was a governor. Um, I just feel that we've gotten away from the, the real reason of wanting to run for office or be a governor or a lawmaker. Um, and I really believe it's because you want to make a change. And the people that make change are the ones that go through big challenges in their life. And so if I was ever to do something like that, go into leadership or run for office, it would be because I feel compelled to make a change and make things better for, for New Yorkers and, and the people that I would represent. Having said that, I love my job at Fox. I've been there for 17 years. They have, they are just my second family. I can't see myself working anywhere else. So, there you go. I, I'll tell you one thing I didn't hear in that, Janice Dean. I didn't hear uh, I'm closing the door on that. So, so, so <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, the door's still open, right? Uh, you know what? I, as I've told people in the weather, weather casting industry, I don't like to forecast uh -huh. past seven days. <laughs> okay, so there you have <laughs> because, it. <laughs> yeah, so let's just say that. Okay, I love it, I love it. So you've lived, obviously, a very interesting life. We've, we've covered a lot of ground here with your education after growing up in Canada and how you ended up at Fox. But there have been challenges along the way. Obviously, we just talked about just the tragic story of your mother-in-law and father-in-law. 
but you've gone through some serious stuff. You've gone through a home invasion. What was that like? When did that happen? That was when I was living in Houston. Um, So I lived in Houston for four years. And I was living alone. I had a great job. I was doing great. I I was working at um, a country music music station as a midday jock, as a DJ there. So it was probably like 1997 through 2001. Yes, because 9-11 happened and I was still in in Houston. All right. 9-11 happened Um, when I was in Houston as well. So we were there at the same time. Okay. I'm sorry. How long were you living in Houston Uh, for? Let's see. April of 01 until August of 03. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Um, and, and I had a great, I had great friends. I had a great job. And uh, one night I was, you know, it was one of the rare cool nights in Houston. And I left the window open just a crack in my um, apartment that was on the bottom floor in a really nice complex. And um, I was awoken uh, by somebody who got in and he had a knife Ugh. and, um, you know, it, it was, it was horrifying. I, I really thought that, um, it was going to go really badly for me. Mm. Um, but for some reason I was able to convince him to take all of my money, all of my jewelry. I tried to, you know, say I had a brand new car that he could take. I kept telling him, um, all of these things that he could have if he would just, you know, if he would just do that instead of, um, you know, sure. assaulting me, sure. sexually assaulting me. Um, but, you know, thankfully he, you know, he wanted the jewelry and the money and the car. So, you know, I, I was able to convince him to do that. And um, I, I was out in the living room, like going through my purse to give him all my belongings. And there was a loud noise in the parking lot. I don't remember if it was, you know, it sounded like a a gunshot or something that startled both of us. And he ran out the front door. Wow. And I, to this day, I, I still don't, I, by the grace of God, I always think that there was, there's been angels looking out for me. Um, uh, he was put in jail. He later did, um, he did go and, and, and do some really terrible stuff, uh, to another, uh, single female. Oh, um, you. yes. I mean, and not to say that he didn't, you know, affect me because right. it did affect me. I uh, but you know, I, I'm lucky that I'm here today and I'm lucky I was able to, to get out of a terrible situation. But I will tell you that after that happened, that's when I realized I don't love what I'm doing. You know, I don't know love where I live. I wanted to go back home to Canada to sort of like heal and, and which is what I did. I packed everything up. I went back home, um, for a year. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, that's, that's when, uh, the New York job, uh, you know, came up and, I and, I, I was brave enough to try it again. You know, I was brave enough to move to another big American city. So, wow. yeah. um, well, I'm glad yeah. for that uh, loud noise in the parking lot. That actually reminded me of a relative of mine who was a single female, lived alone, and had a habit of talking to herself all of the time. And she walked into the living room one night, and the window was open. And it was it was behind um, like a big chair. So you really couldn't see because it was one of those lower down windows. You really couldn't see what was going on behind the chair. And she said out loud because uh, the curtain had been moved over, obviously. And, and so she just said, 
huh, I wonder how that curtain got moved. And the next thing you know, there's a guy climbing out of her house, out of that window, and and he was must have been spooked, thinking there was a guy oh. or someone else in the house with him. He thought she was alone, probably. But anyhow, it was a very similar, I guess, to a degree oh, situation my. in that you just those you never know what's going to spook that person and get them out of there. But I'm I'm glad it wasn't any worse than it was, you know, for you. Yes. Uh, I mean, yes. And the moral of the story is lock your windows. Make sure you have an alarm system. um, Be aware of your surroundings. And, you know, I, I understand the, you know, wanting to own a gun. I understand that for protection. And and I can appreciate that because I didn't have a gun. And there are many times where I think to myself, what if I did have one? Hmm. Could I have stopped this guy from doing this to another person? You know, so that, you know, that's another big discussion of we have to be able to protect ourselves. I believe in that. I think you just as a, as a family, as a person, who wants to protect your family, you have to do everything you possibly can to make sure that you can do that for them. Sure thing. You know, you thinking through that gun situation, if I had had a gun, maybe he wouldn't have gone on to do other things. I mean, that's that's a surefire way to get yourself in a, in a terrible spiral that you have no control over. This guy went out and did this stuff. You didn't. The guy's a criminal and he's responsible. I appreciate that. I mean, there's not a day that goes by that I don't, that I don't think about it, you know, to yeah. some degree. And you're right. You know, you always think think back to, did I do, do everything I could have, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and there's always going to be a a, um, a, a a grain of what could I have done better? You know, sure. how could I have made sure that this doesn't happen to somebody? And I, I'm the guy, I'm just like you. I, I would have gone through the same process after the fact as far as what if I done this? What if I, but anyhow, I I want to talk about how you met your husband, Sean, and, and you were concerned that this, what happened to you in Houston with the home invasion, you, you had concerns that that was going to affect how he looked at you. Correct. Oh, of course. Definitely. That kind of stuff is always with you. And, you know, I knew that at some point I was going to have to tell him that story. And and I, yeah, I, there was part of me that was like, is he going to look at me differently? Mm. I mean, I know that sounds silly now, um, but, you know, that's something that you carry. And it's this strange, I'm not sure, it feels like... I'm not sure, like you're not good enough or something. Mm. I, I don't even know how to put it to words. Listen, I'm a big believer in therapy, by the way. I, you know, as soon as I moved to New York and I realized that I had a lot of work to do, not only because I had had things that have happened in my life, but that I was, you know, I was in my thirties and I, and, and I wanted to figure out why I was, was I running from something? What was I looking for in life? Right. What was important to me? And so I'm so glad that I did because I feel like if I wasn't in therapy trying to sort of better myself, I worry that I wouldn't have met my husband and allowed myself to fall in love and be worthy of love. Hmm. Um, because I, I think that I, for many years, sort of thought that my whole self-worth 
was my career and, you know, moving to a big city and doing important things to make myself feel better and, and feel that I was worthy. It really took a lot of um, soul searching and realizing that, you know, I'm okay just as Janice, you know, mm-hmm. without all of the other stuff. Um, so when I moved to New York, uh, I wasn't here for very long when a, a girlfriend of mine back home in Canada actually emailed me and she um, had gotten married and, and went on her honeymoon in Hawaii. And she emailed me after the after her honeymoon and said, I met this great guy. I'm like, what do you mean you met this great guy? Of course you did. You married him. She said, no, while we were on honeymoon, um, we were uh, we were hiking and I met this fireman. He's from New York and I think you should meet him. And at the time I was in the job, the IMIS job, which was not, you know, my favorite job of all time, obviously. And I was questioning everything. Why did I move to New York? And I said to her, I was like, Leanne, the last thing I need right now is a relationship. I, I, I don't think I could handle a boyfriend. I really, I don't know what I, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And she said, well, why does he have to be a boyfriend? Why can't you just meet him? He, you know, he's a really nice guy and, and he's a fireman and, you know, that's kind of great, right? And so I agreed to take his information and, and I think we emailed each other back and forth and we finally met for brunch one day. I was just, I was getting off my morning show and he was um, just coming off of a 24 uh, in the firehouse. And I, I remember driving, I, I drove across the, uh, the 59th street bridge and he told me where to meet him. And, uh, and I parked the car and he got in, he told me what he looked like. He was, you know, at the time we were in our, our, um, we were probably 31 or 32, but he said he was prematurely gray. And so I, I recognized him right away and he got in the car and I said, hi, Sean, I'm Janice. Uh, listen, I've never driven in the city before. Can you drive my car? (laughs) (laughs) That's a nice icebreaker. Can you drive my car? Because I've never driven in New York City before. <laughs> so yes, that's that's probably like the first sentence we said to each other. That's so we did. Fun. He got he we we swapped seats and we decided to find. Uh, it was at Christmas time actually, and I wanted to see the Rockefeller Christmas tree. I had never seen it in person before. Um, so he parked next to a, a, a firehouse. That's the one thing about dating a fireman is they always have a parking spot uh, next to a firehouse <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> so he found his parking spot and we went and saw the tree and then we had brunch. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, was it love at first sight? I certainly thought he was very handsome and we had a very nice time together. But it wasn't one of those love at first sight uh, moments. It was just you know, having a meal with somebody who, who was kind and, uh, you know, you enjoyed talking to. And it was a, it was a very slow sort of ramp up to, to romance, I guess. And I think a lot of it is because I was so unsure of, you know, what I was doing in New York and I, and I didn't want to like have any false hope. But the bright side of the story is we did fall in love and we did (laughs) get married and we have two beautiful children. And, and, you know, I always think to myself when I think of the, you know, that path that I've, that I've been on all of these years and all of the challenges that I've had to go through. And, you know, certainly the home invasion in Houston affected me, but had that not happened, that would not have set, uh, you know, set the foundation of where I am today right. of going back home, uh, meeting Leanne, moving to New York, still being in touch with, you know, good friends who, who opened the door to this beautiful, amazing, 
um, life that I have. Right, right. And, and you actually said on Twitter recently, one thing you know for sure is that you're living proof that the American dream exists. And I think that that's absolutely the case. And you, you talked about um, your two sons, Matthew and Theodore. They're ages 12 and 10, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is great. Um, isn't having kids so much fun? It's the best thing I've ever done in my life. And I, I can't, you know, I, I get upset when I think of my life without them. Mm. Like, I, I can't even imagine, you know, it, it really is. I really believe that I was destined to, you know, to be in this moment, live in this great city, meet this wonderful husband of mine and have these beautiful children. I, you know, and then I look back to what I thought was success, which was great job, you know, making money, living in this amazing city, which is all wonderful, but it could go away tomorrow and it wouldn't matter because the, the foundation that I have for this beautiful life is my husband and my children. That's awesome. Well said. And by the way, just to just to put put this out there, um, I lived in New Jersey, commuted to Manhattan for two and a half years uh, working with Glenn, and I yeah. never once drove in the city. Uh, and and I <laughs> I count as a technicality. One time I had to drive to Connecticut, and I remember driving. It was like a, it was an overpass or something, and I remember there was a sign on it and it said New York City limits. And I mean, I was in and out of it in no time at all. It wasn't even down on the ground. And so I just told myself, huh, I can say that I've driven in New York City now because it's true. <laughs> so anyhow, it yeah. wasn't even, a, I can't imagine driving in that town. Oh, It's not for the weak of heart. It no. really isn't. No, I can barely walk through that town. Oh, but speaking of New York City, which, you know, I've lived there, like I said, and, and I just, I found it very humorous when you said these two sentences back to back. I'm a big believer in therapy. Right after I moved to New York. Yeah, exactly. You you live in New York, you'll need therapy. So anyway, I just had to point that out. It made me that laugh. Would, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, you know, it's a prerequisite. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So 15 years ago, you were diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. How has that affected mm-hmm. you? Well, um, a diagnosis like that can be very dark, and it was. It was you know, one of the worst times in my life because I didn't know much about the illness. I immediately associated it with a wheelchair. And, um, and I thought, you know, everything that I had aspired to and built in my life was probably going to go away because of the diagnosis. So Mm. I was working at Fox. I had just recently got there. I had just started dating Sean. Um, and then you get this diagnosis, which there's no cure for it. It's, um, you know, you have it for the rest of your life. It, you know, you can control it. It's a, it's a mysterious illness in that there is no one size fits all. Okay. Um, there are people that are diagnosed with it that don't, unfortunately, don't do great. They go downhill fairly quickly. There are people who, you know, have flare ups throughout their life and they, you know, they, they sort of manage it with medication. And there are people that live relatively well, uh, despite having the illness. And luckily, knock wood, I I think I've been one of those lucky people, but Mm. probably because I was able to diagnose it fairly early on, you know, so looking back on the diagnosis, it was, it was awful. And I really did think my life was over. What tipped uh, you off to, to make you think that there might be something going on? So 
the year was 2005 and it was the worst hurricane season on record up until this past year, actually. Mm. It was the year of Katrina, Hurricane Katrina and Rita. And we went to the Greek alphabet because there were so many storms. And I was working really long hours. And I just remember being really tired. And I, and I thought it was because of the hurricane coverage. So I remember saying I wanted to take some time off after that hurricane season because I was just so overwhelmed and, 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 and needed to, you know, really sort of, um, recalibrate. Uh And Sean and I went back home to Canada actually for a week. And it was, I think the first or second day that we were back, I woke up and I couldn't, I couldn't get out of bed. I was just so tired. And there was this weird numbness and tingling in my, in my feet and my, and my hands. And I went to a clinic, uh, to see what was wrong. And I remember the, the doctor saying, you could have anything from a slip disc to multiple sclerosis. And I looked at her like, what, you know, uh. what kind of crazy doctor is going to tell me that I, that I could have that wheelchair illness. Um, but she did give me great advice. She said, you know, go back to the U S and get some MRIs done of your brain and spine, um, to, you know, go to a neurologist. And, and I did. And so I, I did exactly what she said. I got the MRIs done and they did a spinal tap, which is another, um, t- a batter, you know, battery of tests that you go through to see, um, what's going on with your brain and your spine. And, um, I had lesions both on my brain and my spine and they, they oh. pretty much diagnosed me on the spot and they, and they put me on a therapy, which at the time was, an, I had to inject myself with a needle every three, every two days. Um, and I did that for a number of years wow. and then, Gosh. uh, you know, I've, I've had, obvious bumps in the road. And, and right now I'm on a therapy, which is an infusion once a month. And I'll tell you, it's going very well. Um, I feel great. I'm trying to be as healthy as possible for my kids. Mm. The one thing being diagnosed with a uh, chronic illness does though, is it makes you really appreciate, uh, the, the things that you have around you, the support group that you have. So you know, my husband didn't leave me. I was still able to have children. I was still able to do well at my job. And the the good part about this is that there is really great news for those of us that have MS on the horizon. They just recently announced uh, a vaccine, uh, very much sort of like the COVID vaccine that they have right now, that could stop the progression of the illness and even heal uh some of those lesions so that is one of the the greatest pieces of news that i've had since i was diagnosed so there is really good you know there's good therapies out there when i was diagnosed there still wasn't a whole lot you could take for it Mm. um but now there are so many things you can take for it and i feel really good and you know i i try to be as optimistic as possible but i think that's important too i think you have to have you know you have to be able to appreciate uh, the little things. And every day I get up and I, I stand up, I'm just grateful that I can, I can do that. Wow. Yeah. And and you talk about, you know, having that, that positive outlook. It seems like there's a lot to your attitude towards something, whether you're going to have a fighting chance or not. I think so. I think you're absolutely right. And it also, you know, it's the people you surround yourself with right. too. If you have a good support system, you have a good family, you have people who are there for you, you know, that's half the battle. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, my husband, I, I've, I've said this before, but you know, obviously the day he asked me to marry him was one of the most important days of my life. But the day he said to me that MS did not scare him, mm. 
is one of the most beautiful moments as well, because it just, it said to me that he was going to be there for me regardless of what was going to happen. That's great. That's great. Um, and in that vein of keeping a positive attitude, I, I think it's a good time to talk about this book that just came out this week, Make Your Own Sunshine. Um, I mean, you are a prolific author. Uh, you've got Freddie the Frogcaster uh, book series, a children's book series. Is there, what, five books in that series at this point? There is. I'm so proud of uh, Freddie. Yes, yes. The children's book series. Okay. Yep. And so then a couple of years ago, you wrote Mostly Sunny. Um, yep. And it just it, it chronicles um, all the stuff that you, you've gone through in your life. And tell us about Make Your Own Sunshine, which was just released this week. I love this book so much. It's it's a book about other people. And it's a book about what we were just talking about, you know, having a positive attitude and, and finding light in really dark times. I wrote this book in the middle of a pandemic. I, I didn't set out to write the book in the middle of a pandemic. It just happened that way. <laughs> um, I started writing... Uh, writing it before we were in lockdown. But as I was writing it and being in the middle of this global pandemic, I was finding stories more than ever of people being amazing to each other. Mm. Uh, and it really does speak to, in those darkest moments, seeing the brightest light. Um, so a lot of these people are just there are some stories of people just being kind to a stranger like buying someone's coffee uh in line to big amazing movements i i talk about my friend ray pfeiffer who was my husband's dear friend and a colleague who was a firefighter and got 9-11 related illness he got cancer cancer spread through his whole body and he was, a, I call him the ray of light because he was just one of those people who lit up a room. You loved being around him. Um, you know, everyone knew Ray. He was, we called him the mayor and he got sick, but he spent those days before he passed away to try to make sure that fellow firefighters had health care. So he went to Congress and banged down doors and said, you need to make this right. You need to make sure that my my brothers and sisters who, um, you know, who were down there trying to find each other after 9-11 and got sick because of all of the pollutants that were in the air, you sure. have to make sure that they are taken care of and their families are taken care of. So he's a chapter in the book because he, he is one of those people that was so selfless in, in, in the way he lived and even when he was dying. Um, but then, you know, I, I talk about everyday heroes like the FedEx driver who saw that he was delivering a package to a residence where there was a young girl that had uh, type 2 diabetes that was compromised. So he wiped down the package and, and didn't expect anyone to know about it. But, but her mom saw it on the, on the video camera, on the, on the uh, security camera, and she shared it on social media wow. and it became a, a you know a bigger story so these are the types of stories that i wanted to highlight in this book and i tell you every single one of them will bring tears to your eyes tears of joy and also make you realize that we're all human beings and we are all connected that is great and we need sunshine in our world right now it's uh, definitely a dark place it has uh, 
a lot of rough moments. So make your own sunshine. I am looking forward to getting deep into this book. So thank you for highlighting those great stories that we need to hear. Um, I want to back up if I can. You are a classic rock DJ, right? I got that right? Yes. Okay. So yes. is that safe to say that's your favorite genre? Probably, okay. um, because I, I spent more time spinning those tunes than any other tunes. But I will say that I have a appreciation for all music. Okay. I mean, I, I, I did country music. I did smooth jazz. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's got its place, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. But I would say classic rock is probably, you know, is has a, a special place in my heart. Okay. Your favorite book that you've read is The Great Gatsby. Um, it, it's got to be better than the movie, right? Because I've seen the movie and I just was not impressed. And, and <laughs> no, usually the, the don't book... Ju- no way. Don't judge anything by the movie. Right, right. The, the book um, is always better than, than the movie, right? Absolutely. Okay. And I, I read The Great Gatsby in, in college, in high school rather, and, and, and really liked it. But then I read it again uh, in my 20s and I read it in my 30s and I recently wrote, you know, read it just you know during the pandemic. And I, it's just... It's 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 not it's not a book. It's it's really a piece of art. You know, I, I'm I'm fascinated by just the way it was written and, hmm. and how important it is to read during these times that we're in right now, because I think we sort of we can look back to history and realize that we've all gone through these periods um, and uh, and, and you know, can identify with with certain people that we read about to where we are now. It's a great book. I highly recommend it if you haven't read it. Would you have liked to live in that era of the great Gatsby? You know, it's, it, it's kind of what we're going through right now. Uh-huh. It's like, you know, it's, it, there was wealth everywhere and, yeah. and, you know, everybody was partying and having a great time. And, and then there's a period of, you know, the great depression and, and how, you know, we, we, we went from, having everything to having nothing and, and what the importance is in having the relationships and the people around you. Um, so, uh, I mean, any period in history, you can sort of look at and say, you know, there, there is repetition through the, through the years and through the things that we go through as human beings. Yeah. And and see, I think about different eras in American history like, I wouldn't mind living in the late 1800s. Don't ask me why. I don't know. Maybe I've got a thing for Grover Cleveland. But my point is, <laughs> if if I could go back to those eras without the knowledge of the great stuff that we have now. See, if I got back there and, and I didn't have a smartphone, you know, that's, I'm not interested. Like, like, like I, I know I'm not going to have it. What I'm saying is I don't want to have known about it because then I'm going to be miserable without it. Anyhow, that's just my thinking on time travel there a little, little, little aside there Jana. sorry um but one of the uh, things you mentioned when i sent out this email with the questions i asked what's your favorite app well one of the things we're not going to have in in the 1920s during the great gatsby era is your favorite app and mine hopefully people are listening to the podcast right now on spotify is that not the greatest app? It's so intuitive. I absolutely love Spotify, just like you listed on the uh, questionnaire. Absolutely, because it connects you to everything, right? I love, yeah. I love podcasts. I, you know, one of my New Year's resolutions was to try to keep walking, try to keep active, mm-hmm. and I, I find that I am in better shape because of of the podcast. Because I'll just listen to it while I'm walking, and yeah. and it doesn't even feel like exercise. Right. So not only do you get your beautiful. <laughs> 
you know, podcasts like yours. Um, but you know, you can also listen to music, right. uh, you know, listen to classic rock or smooth jazz the, the, or whatever you want. The thing that's so great about Spotify is like, if I don't know the name of a song or even the artist, and I just start typing the lyric, ta-da, it pops there up. There you like, go. Yeah, that's the one. So whoever came up with that AI, thank you so much. So five possessions that Janice Dean would keep, if she could only keep five, would be her wedding ring, something to write with, paper to write on, a place to keep pictures of those that she loves, and something to listen to music on, um, obviously Spotify, but I noticed that there was no weather app. I mean, <laughs> what's... I guess you don't need an app because you could just... You could just predict it yourself. You don't really need right, okay. right. <laughs> Keep cool. telling your friends that. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Obviously, in your career, you've had um, uh, you've crossed paths with celebrities. You said most of them are nice. Is there one or two that come to mind that are just like genuinely good people that it was a sincere pleasure to meet? You know, I think a lot of country music artists are just genuinely good people. Uh-huh. I, I I'm not sure why they come to mind. I've never met Dolly Parton in person, but I've interviewed her through, you know, video, you know, on Fox and Friends. And she just seems like she's she's a saint. She's just this wonderful human being that, you know, that it, it transcends everything. You know, she's just like you could tell that she wants to make people smile and be mm-hmm. happy. So, you know, I would put her definitely on uh, on one of the lists of people who I've met and has totally lived up to the expectations. Um, you know, I can't think of anybody that was like really rude or awful. Oh, that's good. I'll get back to you. But okay. most people have been genuinely pretty good. Very good. Very good. Do, Do you, you have any stories? Oh, of of really good celebrities? Or bad ones? Or, or nasty ones. I will say that when I was in Houston, actually, and I was producing Pat's radio show there at KPRC, uh, George Foreman came in and was the greatest human being I have ever met. So oh. nice. And I mean, he was like, hey, you want you want to take a picture? You know, like, I mean, you know, he yeah. he, you did, he wasn't waiting for you to have that awkward. Hey, Mr. Foreman, can we take a picture? You know, he saw the camera there before smartphones. You know, he he, he knew what was up and he was so, so kind. And just uh, you would have never in a million years think that this guy was in the ring going blow for blow with Muhammad Ali or Joe Frazier or something. I mean, anyway, so absolutely George Foreman comes to mind whenever um, that question comes up for sure. I think it's really important to shine a light on those types of people, you know, that, that it, the celebrity has not taken that away from them, that they're, that they're kind to everyone. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm glad that you told me that. And he does look like somebody who would be just a really cool, oh, nice person. He's got the life. greatest smile and it didn't leave his face the entire time he was there. Such a such That's a great awesome. encounter. Uh, you know, I failed to mention when you were talking about uh, Great Gatsby, F. Scott Fitzgerald. I had to look this up before we sat down and talked because you talked about going back in time there. And I just completely missed the opportunity. Um, you talk about uh, his wife, Zelda, right? Mm-hmm. And and I looked up yep. these letters. I mean, she is as prolific as a writer as her husband, just, just through her yes. letters, just through her le- love letters. Absolutely. And I've, I've read, you know, biographies of her as well. And she was an incredible woman in her own right. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up because obviously Fitzgerald gets all of the, the accolades, but I mean, she was kind of his muse Mm -hmm. and, you know, they had a a really, uh, 
tumultuous relationship as well. I mean, it wasn't all wonderful, uh, you know, being an author, living in Paris and going to all these parties. Um, you know, they, they had rough times. Um, but they also really did bring out the best of each other and the worst of each other. But, uh, but such an interesting, you know, I, I love reading about the women behind the important, uh, men that we, that we, um, that we talk about. I mean, Hemingway is another person, an amazing author, but the women that he had around them were also incredibly, uh, you know, um, uh, celebrated and, and incredible writers. Mm -hmm. And, and there was one, you know, he'd been married a couple of times, but there was one in particular that she was a, an amazing like war reporter. So, um, so I love to read about these, these wonderful men, but I also love to read about the women that they, um, that they have in their lives as well. Why did you also select uh, Theodore Roosevelt as someone you'd like to go back in and meet in history? I, you know, I picked him because um, my my little Theodore, uh, my not, my ten year old, <laughs> is that who he's named um, after? Then, well, listen, I'm not going to lie. I love the name <laughs> Theodore, but I think there was certainly something to that that it sounded very presidential. Uh-huh. Um, and since you know, since I named him ten years ago, I've I've had a lot of friends that have named their child Theodore. So I like to think that I Isn't started that something. interesting how that happens? Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. But Theodore, one of his projects recently were, was, um, you know, famous New Yorkers. And Theodore, we suggested that he do Theodore Roosevelt. And so I, I was able to, you know, uh, sort of refresh my memory on what a, an amazing governor and president uh, he was. Hmm. And, um, you know, how he was interested in, in celebrating our parks. And obviously, he goes down as one of our most wonderful presidents. And we see him and of course, like the, the movies that Ben Stiller, what was the, uh, the <laughs> night, night at the museum? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah, good stuff. Oh, of course, I would love to meet Theodore Roosevelt so, someday. That would be amazing. Does your son still have to do any more uh, reports on famous New Yorkers? Or is that already done? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just asking if that's done. It's already done. So oh. uh, we we picked um, Theodore Roosevelt. Okay. And we also picked Lucille Ball, okay. who is one of my most favorite actresses. She was also born in uh, New York State. I think it's Jamestown. you got to get to then, Irving um, here, Irving, Texas, Glenn Studio sometimes, so you can see Lucille Ball's uh, makeup table that uh, he has out here on display, like her... Her, yeah really yeah it's i mean that's you, amazing if you saw that at a flea market you'd just be like okay but when you <laughs> when you when you know it was lucille balls then it's like oh my gosh look at that now now it's got charm you know it's pretty cool so that is amazing yeah well yeah, anyway i was so. just hoping there would be time for theodore to do a report on uh my favorite new yorker uh, Grover Cleveland, but uh, anyhow, uh, just if there, it comes around, there are going to be more projects. Okay, I'll, I'll send him some notes. No, uh, <laughs> you also wish you could go back and meet Mr. Rogers. How cool would that be? Oh, I love Mr. Rogers. Yeah. I grew up with Mr. Rogers. You know, like you know, our kids are on tablets these days. Yep. Um, I just remember coming home from school, or you know, even before school, and just sitting and watching Mr. Rogers. Sure, me too. And just knowing. Even at a young age, what an incredible person he was, yeah. you know? And then I recently watched that movie. Mm -hmm. um, kind of reinforced uh, that, huh? 
yeah, Tom of Hanks. course. And just that, yes, that he was always this kind person that wanted, um, that wanted to be good to others and wanted to sort of highlight how important it is to have connections with people and to look for the helpers, you know, to, <laughs> to know that even in times of darkness, that there are always people out there that were, are going to help you. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm so glad that his wife got to be a part of that project and see it, uh, the finished product, before her own passing. Uh, so that was that was good. Um, okay, I'm going to ask you. Uh, we're almost done here, I promise. But I, I do need to ask you about your most embarrassing moment when you dropped an F-bomb on live TV while rappelling down a building <laughs> in a Santa suit. Now, I wouldn't say that the F-bomb was the embarrassing part of, of that story. <laughs> <laughs> but tell us what happened. Yeah, Where correct. was that? <laughs> that was a few years ago. And every year, a Fox personality is asked if they would rappel down a, a building in Connecticut. I can't remember how many stories. Nine or ten stories, I think. No. Um, and they asked me one year to do it. And I said to my husband, I was like, this is crazy, right? And he's like, that's pretty safe, actually. I'm like, wait, you're supposed to tell me you don't want me to do something like that. Right. So instead of saying, no, you don't want to do that, he was like, ah, yeah, that's pretty safe. Like Because when I did agree to do it, there were a lot of firemen there to help set it up and make sure that you were tethered properly. And there's a lot of wiring and all that kind of stuff. But man, it was still it was still one of the most scariest things I've ever done. Even though my husband told me it was totally safe, um, rappelling down uh, the the building with Brian Cashman, the GM of the of the Yankees, right. he does it every year too. Oh, really? And uh, I'm not sure where I somehow got the courage to do it, but I did it. Was there a net down on the ground, and just in case, or, or no? No, no oh, it wasn't. No, there not wasn't. doing it. Not doing it. Okay. And, and so did. I'm on live television, but, you know, your adrenaline is going and you're trying to, like, forget the fact that you're, like, you know, you are you are actually, like, on the side of a very tall building and below you is concrete. Uh, and I just remember going down and, it you know, I a momentary lapse of reason and I said the F word and <laughs> Brian Cashman was like, I don't think you could say that on TV. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't even notice. Honestly, I didn't even notice until I got down to the ground. And uh, I, I got a text from somebody who said, uh, you just said the <laughs> F word on television. Just so you know. So I called my husband. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I think I said the F word. He's like, you know what? I think out of all the things you've ever done on television, mm -hmm. if there was ever a time when it was OK for you to use the F word, that would probably be okay. So, what, did, did they not run a delay at Fox News? Because no, what they didn't. Are you kidding they me? They didn't. But you know, <laughs> I don't think a lot of people noticed mm -hmm. um, because I think I don't know. I think uh, somebody else was talking. Like I think Brian, Steve, or Ainsley was still talking to oh, me, so good. it might have been kind of muffled. And <laughs> so, some people heard it, and well, I heard. You know, someone told me that they texted me, obviously, okay. telling me I did this. So, so of course, immediately I called my husband and then I called my executive producer and he didn't know either. He had to go check the tape. Oh, wow. Um, that's that's so... good. That's good. Uh, and I will say that uh, uh, this, this might but be. Yes, and the Santa suit, too. The Santa suit, I will say, was um, was not the most attractive Santa suit. Well, let me just put it this way. If someone were to go to YouTube and type in Janice Dean F-bomb. 
there may or may not be a video of said encounter with the uh, side of that building. So it is out there. And why are you the only one that has to wear the suit? Because everybody else around you is normal clothes. <laughs> do you not want me to I tell people that that's out there? You, you, you do whatever you need to do. <laughs> I'm just looking at it right now, and it's got less than 700 views. We need to get that number off. That, uh, up, uh, that's what I'm saying. Anyhow, okay. just, I, I am. I am. Once again, I am very sorry for you know the fact that I that that did did happen on live television. Well, um, we've all done that. Just most of us are in an environment where. We have access to the dump button, and we go and take care of it. Uh, I, I've, I've done that in South Carolina when a roach crawled across my foot during a, a morning show, and I, I screamed the F-bomb into the microphone, and then I calmly got up. I knew I had, that time, 10 seconds to walk across the room, push the button, and get on with my life. But, uh, see, you somebody else was at the controls, and they let you down, Janice. Well, I think moving forward, they've maybe done that. <laughs> they've had the 10-second the delay or whatever. <laughs> what is so funny is that uh, there's probably a story in the control room at Fox News about the history of the dump button there. And there's probably a crusty <laughs> engineer back there. Yeah, we never had to do that until that crazy Janice Dean came in here and started <laughs> dropping bombs on the morning show. So, so of all the of all the talent at Fox News, that's a trivia question now. Why is there a dump button employed at Fox News? It's because of, and they of course would never guess Janice Dean. I mean, they'd probably say oh, Bill no. O'Reilly or, or or Tucker Shh, or something. Don't tell anybody. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you you obviously you've got so you've got the five children's books. You now have the the two other books. Or anything else that I'm missing? Do you have plans to write more books going forward? I mean, never say never. I'd like to write another Freddy book. I think there, there, I have a, a good storyline for maybe a wrap up of Freddy the Frogcaster or at least a continuation, um, where I might introduce other characters. So, you know, I, I'm always thinking about things down the line, but definitely Freddy the Frogcaster. I love Make Your Own Sunshine and it can certainly turn into a series because there are so many wonderful stories out there of, awesome people doing amazing things. Um, so that's, you know, that's always a possibility. Um, I love writing. I love to, I love doing that. So like I said, on my five items, uh, as long as I have a piece of paper and a pen, I'm good. Okay. Very good. Uh, I know that you are on Twitter. Uh, are you anywhere else on social media? So at Janice Dean on Twitter, at Janice Dean on Facebook, and at Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Because I wasn't able to get the Janice Dean. Somebody got that. Somebody oh, snagged it before me. You should threaten them. I think, I think you should. <laughs> Will you do it for me? Go get, uh, well, I'll get back to well, Are you going to run for governor? If you say yes to that, <laughs> then I'll go take care of your dirty work in the meantime. <laughs> I'll let you know. You let me know, and then that. we can we can revisit this. Okay, so there she is, everybody. Thank you so much. Anything uh, left out there that, that maybe we missed? I think we uncovered quite a bit there. No, I think uh, this was definitely, this is your life, Janice. Dean. All right, very cool. Well, Fox and Friends morning meteorologist and future governor of New York State, Janice Dean, <laughs> thank you so much for making time on At The Mic. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for the interest. I had such a great time getting to know Janice, and who knows, perhaps she will indeed be the next governor of the Empire State. Stay tuned. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of At The Mic. I hope you'll be here next week when we catch up with someone many of you are familiar with, Brian Sack, the co-host of the Questionable Material podcast. I hope you'll make time to find out what he's been up to. 
In the meantime, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast and do share it with anybody who enjoys good conversation. And we'll catch you next time on At The Mic. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemikeshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect.